Focus on Headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, uh, joining us in the studio, we have our reporters, Hong bo and Jung se Guys, welcome back. Hello. Happy Friday. Uh, let's begin uh, with some news regarding North Korea. As you know, the past few weeks or months has been very tense here on the Korean Peninsula. Unprecedented amount of uh, provocation, missile provocation. Uh, North Korea not happy with the number of military exercises that are happening. Uh, or in this case, uh, these uh, meetings we're having uh, with uh, the leaders of South Korea, the U.S. and Japan. This time on this Friday, North Korea fired what is being suspected as a long-range ballistic missile or even an intercontinental ballistic missile towards the East Sea. And uh, really looks like a powerful power confrontation that is going on at this time. Pogyeong, you're going to start us off. Uh, give, it the, give us the latest on uh, North Korea's recent provocation. Sure. So according to the Joint Chief of Staff, North Korea fired one suspected long-range ballistic missile toward the East Sea today. The South Korean military detected the launch from the Sunan area in Pyongyang at 10.15 a.m. And according to the Joint Chief of Staff, it looks like the, um, the flight range was 1,000 kilometers at an altitude of 6,100 kilometers with a speed of Mach 22. And the uh, South Korea and the U.S. intelligence were also looking and analyzing into the further specifications. And many times, North Korea has a reason or excuse for firing its missiles. This time, it's North Korea's reaction to the trilateral summit that was held in Phnom Penh on Sunday between President Yoon Seok-yeol, Joe Biden, and Fumio Kishida. During the trilateral summit, the three leaders agreed to strengthen deterrence, and President Joe Biden reaffirmed U.S. ironclad commitment to Seoul and Tokyo. On Thursday, North Korean Foreign Minister Choi Son-hee warned that North Korea will take fiercer military actions if the U.S. strengthens its security commitment to using a full range of military capabilities, including nuclear options to defend its allies. North Korea fired a short-range ballistic missile into the East Sea right after Choi's statement was made, and just one day after, the regime fired a suspected ICBM long-range missile, showing that it is ready to go power for power. In the meanwhile, the defense ministries of South Korea and the U.S. held the first counter-missile working group meeting today at Seoul's Ministry of Defense to beef up defense cooperation, which will be covered by Sebum later. This year, North Korea fired in total 35 ballistic missiles and three cruise missiles, including the one that was fired today. Yeah, again, I mean, North Korea is going to continue to respond in many different ways. Uh, we've talked about all of these uh, military, joint military drills that happen. They're going to respond with military, uh, sorry, uh, missile provocations. And even with this, I mean, it's kind of natural for the uh, South Korea and its allies to kind of discuss North Korea related issues. But the way that North Korea takes this is them sort of planning things out to uh, attack North Korea is, is what I'm assuming. They, that's why they're so upset about these uh, meetings in place. Um, but uh, amid North Korea's evolving nuclear and uh, missile threats, as uh, Po Gyeong reported uh, just now, South Korea and the United States created a missile defense consultation body under the existing Security Coordination Institution. This called the Deterrent Strategy Committee. Sebom, let's get more on this. Sure. I would like to first let you know that the White House strongly condemned Pyongyang's latest missile launch today by saying that
that it is a brazen violation of multiple UN Security Council resolutions, and the United States will take all necessary measures to ensure the security of the American homeland, as well as the Republic of Korea and Japan. And maybe as part of its effort, South Korea and the U.S. newly created a working-level missile defense consultation body called the Counter-Missile Working Group, or CMWG, under the existing security coordination institution called the Deterrence Strategic Committee, or DSC. It aims to stepping up the Allies' policy coordination against evolving North Korea's nuclear um, security threats, according to Seoul's defense ministry. As North Korea has continued to heighten tensions across the region, the two countries agreed to launch and operate the CMWG as fast as possible and held the inaugural session this morning only after two weeks since the launch plan was approved in November 3rd. Seoul's defense ministry said that through this consultation body, South Korea and the U.S. will reinforce the cooperation mechanism between the two countries' defense authorities to prepare against North Korea's advancing missile threats. As we know, uh, Washington has for the longest time responded very strongly when North Korea conducts these uh, either long-range ballistic missiles or intercontinental ballistic missiles because they believe that the distance that the missile could travel could cover enough to hit uh, one of their uh, territories. And uh, you you see a very stark difference in the way that they respond with different uh, ballistic missiles. If it's a short-range ballistic missile, they're like, okay, we know we don't like it, uh, but it's not going to be met with a very strong remark from Washington. If it's like a medium-range ballistic missile, uh, they'll respond to it, but it's not as harsh as when we see an intercontinental ballistic missile or long-range ballistic missile as we see earlier today. Uh, And Pentagon coming out saying that North Korea's missile launches continue to destabilize the region. Uh, We've heard about this, uh, I guess, remarks all the time here, but uh, what's the latest on this, Bogyoung? Right. Nothing's much new, but still. Well, hours after North Korea launched another short-range ballistic missile on Thursday, Deputy Pentagon Press Secretary Sabrina Singh was asked in a press briefing if North Korea's missile launches might become a new normal in the region. Singh said that North Korea continues to destabilize the region and that Washington's commitment to Seoul and Tokyo remains strong. Yeah, and unfortunately, it has become a new norm, right? Like it's almost become, uh, you know, when we had uh, the first, uh, what is it, missile provocation in eight days, the recent one with the short-range ballistic missile was the first in eight days, and it was like, wow, I mean, in eight days, it's a long time that they haven't fired. Uh, But that is concerning when this becoming a new norm. But it does look like, Uh, North Korea was and is busy making money through illicit cyber activities in order to fund these missile programs because we said this before. It's not like they ha- it's costing them nothing to fire these missiles. Uh, they range from about $2 million to $5 million a missile here, depending on this. But let's get the latest story in regards to this. Right. So according to Ann Neuberger, the U.S. Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber and Emerging Technologies, North Korea is collecting vast sums of money through numerous cyber attacks against cryptocurrency infrastructure. 
In a press briefing that took place in Washington, Newberger said that North Korea is believed to fund about 30% of its missile and other malicious programs from cyber attacks and that the U.S. is particularly concerned. In fact, according to a report that was submitted earlier by Alejandro Mayorkas, the U.S. Homeland Security Secretary, North Korea stole more than $1 billion USD worth of crypto and hard currency for the past two years to fund its weapons of mass destruction programs. Newberger said that the U.S. is working closely with its allies to share information on potential cyber threats and to make it harder to move illicit funds through cryptocurrency infrastructure. Referring to the sanctions that were imposed on Tornado Cash, which is a virtual currency mixer by the U.S., Newberger said that Tornado Cash helped the illicit movement of up to 600 million U.S. dollars. And for our listeners out there, a cryptocurrency mixer refers to the service that blends the cryptocurrencies of many users together to obscure the origins and owners of the funds. According to Newberger, efforts will be made to improve the resiliency of banks and cryptocurrency infrastructure. On another note, Newberger also mentioned that South Korea is taking part in the U.S.-led International Counter-Ransomware Initiative Summit and that South Korea is a true leader in the fields of cybersecurity and smart city technologies. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we talked about this in the past. We talked about uh, the Lazarus Group, which is behind uh, a number of, uh, you know, cyber attacks, uh, whether it be from, you know, the Sony Pictures before uh, because of the, the, the movie, The Inter- Interview, which uh, really upset, I'm sure, North Korea. Uh, but there's been a number of hacking when it comes to cryptocurrency, stealing a lot of these currencies. Uh, and it really, I mean, it's, it's already been a very volatile market right now in cryptocurrency. But I remember earlier this year when things were just doing okay, uh, the crypto theft, theft by North Korea really uh, dumped a lot of the, uh, the 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 sellers out there, so they're you know selling. They're saying, I mean, we're not we're not trusting the system anymore. Uh, this can easily be stolen. Our uh, cryptocurrency can be stolen as well. So not surprising that North Korea gets their money because with all these sanctions in place, it's hard to kind of export their goods and so forth, and they can't make a whole lot of money through trade. Uh, but um, we'll see how much uh, further they can continue to get these funds and uh, continue their missile provocations here. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we did talk about this briefly yesterday. Uh, Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, uh, having visited Korea here, uh, had a meeting with South Korea's President uh, Yoon Sagir yesterday. It said that uh, Yoon invited him to the presidential residence instead of the presidential office. As we know, the presidential residence is just open uh, recently. Sebum, tell us why Yoon chose to hold a meeting in his residence and uh, also what they discussed there. All right. What's special about this meeting was that it was held in the new presidential residence in Seoul's Hannamdong neighborhood. About this, Yoon said that it was to show president's personal space to the crown prince, and the meeting went smoothly in a pleasant atmosphere. The presidential residence, for your information, was built 54 years ago and recently renovated. About the possibility of using the presidential residence to hold other summits, Yoon said that it will depend on discussions with his counterparts. 
and Yoon as Saudi Crown Prince had an expanded meeting involving officials from both sides as well as a one-on-one meeting and an official lunch while spending about three hours together. About the achievements of the summit, Yoon emphasized that over 20 MOUs have been signed across various sectors, including infrastructure, defense, nuclear and hydrogen energy. And since Saudi Arabia is keenly interested in K-content, comprehensive investments and cooperation plans were announced. Meanwhile, it has been a very hectic week for President Yoon. He recently took part in ASEAN and G20 summits in Cambodia and Indonesia, respectively, and had multiple summits one day after he landed with Saudi Saudi Crown Prince as well as Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rita. Yoon said that it has been a week of diplomacy and thanked Korean people for successfully completing um, consecutive diplomatic events. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yesterday, uh, we had an expert on the show, uh, Professor Lee Hee-an, and uh, we talked about all the, uh, I guess, the, the results and the accomplishments of all the uh, the summit talks that he had. Uh, obviously, there's uh, if the ASEAN, the, the ones that happened in the Southeast Asian countries, were about mostly on North Korea and, of course, relations with uh, China as well. Uh, a lot of what we're going to be talking about, a lot of what uh, President Yoon has been talking about here in South Korea uh, is in regards to some economic benefits out there. Um, but uh, Mohammed bin Salman, uh, again, you know, he, he came to Korea uh, a bit earlier than was expected. I don't know if you guys heard the story, but he rented out like 44. Right. Was it, what is it, 400 rooms? 400, 400 more than 400. 400 rooms at the uh, the Lotte, Lotte Hotel. Wow. Uh, and uh, he was supposed to come today, but he came yesterday. And so all the people that already booked the room uh, oh. were given, they were offered uh, f- uh, 5 million won to check out, basically. Say, listen, Mohammed bin Salman is coming. 5 million won. Uh, almost Ooh. 5,000 US dollars. The, the hotel offered the uh, the the people that uh, booked rooms there. So they said, basically, listen, you got to leave. We'll give you $5,000. We need the room right now. And I'm sure if, if I was one of those people, I would say, give me that $5,000. I will get another uh, hotel. That's how big this, um, obviously, this visit was. Uh, but it did only last about 20 hours. Uh, it, but, uh, you know, nevertheless, uh, with all the meetings that were in place, it left uh, some hopes for new opportunities in the Middle East where, Obviously, there are so much economic benefits and opportunities for South Korean companies. Uh, let's get more on this, Pogyang. Right. So it was definitely a short but powerful visit. Mohammed bin Salman, known as Saudi Arabia's de facto ruler, arrived in Seoul early Thursday and left in the evening of the same day. He stayed less than 24 hours in South Korea, but left behind a present worth 40 trillion Korean won that includes investment, development, and business opportunities. The last time he visited was in June 2019. And as Sebum just covered, President Yoon welcomed Prince bin Salman in the presidential residence, where both leaders held talks to forge stronger ties in the fields of energy, defense, and construction. Also, a strategic partnership committee will be newly established to systematically support such business projects. As Saudi Arabia also hopes to cooperate with South Korea in the fields of nuclear energy and defense, further cooperation opportunities with the Middle East can be expected. With the visit of Prince bin Salman, South Korean companies signed deals and MOUs related to 26 projects with the Saudi government and companies, which is estimated to be worth around 40 trillion Korean won or 30 billion U.S. dollars.
In the business meeting held with the Crown Prince, Samsung Electronics Executive Chairman Lee Jae-yong, SK Group Chairman Choi Tae-won, and Hyundai Motor Group's Chairman Jung Hee-sun were among the eight South Korean business leaders who attended the meeting held late in the day. In the one-and-a-half-hour meeting, both countries' leaders discussed various ways for cooperation centering around Saudi Arabia's 500 billion U.S. dollar project known as NAOM. Or NAOM? NAOM. NAOM. NAOM is an ultra-scale project that involves the building of a 170-kilometer-long linear city along the Red Sea on the northwestern part of Saudi Arabia. The goal is to build an automated, sustainable city operated by robots and powered by solar energy. Yeah, we were saying yesterday, I mean, we're not talking about 50 billion here. We're talking about 500 billion dollars being invested in this city. And it's probably one of the most futuristic, if not the most futuristic places. Uh, it's operated by robots. And if you're wondering why Hyundai Motor Group Chairman Chung Yi's Hun is also involved in the talks here. One of the things that uh, the Saudi Crown Prince really wants in this new city are flying taxis, mm. right? And you might think I'm crazy right now talking about flying taxis in 2022 because we haven't seen it. Actually, Hyundai right now is the leading company when it comes to developing flying cars right now. And, and in fact, they've already been testing flying taxis. I don't know if you guys have been... Uh, I think it was like last year. Uh, last year, we talked about this on the show, how Hyundai and... KT, I think they're working together to create the, the first flying taxi. So uh, who knows? Mm -hmm. well, we, in, in a few years, we might start seeing flying cars out there. Wow. I don't know how much I trust that because I don't even like airplanes. But mm. uh, certainly, uh, Mohammed bin Salman is looking at the most futuristic, which also means the best companies need to work on these projects, which is why you have the, three of the major uh, corporation uh, CEOs. Uh, presidents and uh, executives uh, attending these meetings, right? right. And uh, following the summit uh, with uh, Saudi Crown Prince yesterday, uh, Pre President Yoon, again, of course, a very busy week, uh, had a summit talk with uh, Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez today. I uh, said that uh, one of the main agenda was semiconductor cooperation, obviously something many of the European countries have been seeking, this including uh, with, of course, the uh, Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte. Several must get the uh, updates on the results of the summit. Sure. President Yoon and Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez held a summit today in the presidential office on the occasion of his visit to Korea. Starting with a one-on-one -on -one talk, they had a summit, joint press conference, and luncheon. As SJ just mentioned, one of the main agenda for this summit was bilateral cooperation in future industries, such as semiconductors, electric vehicles, and renewable energy. It is said that a Spanish Prime Minister visited Samsung's semiconductor Pyeongtaek campus yesterday for the first time among all Spanish Prime Ministers, showing the country's ambition to seek further advancement in this sector. And during the summit, they discussed elevating the bilateral relation to a strategic partnership. About this, President Yoon said, quote-unquote, we welcome the growing investment between the two countries in future strategic industries and agreed to continue to provide necessary support at the government level. He also mentioned construction cooperation in third countries such as in Africa and the Middle East and said that the signing of an MOU between the two countries' export finance institutions will add further momentum for joint entrance into overseas market. And during their joint a press conference, the two national leaders announced their strong commitment to further developing bilateral relations. 
Now, in the meantime, uh, I forgot who it was. I think it was maybe Kay who asked yesterday whether or not uh, President Yoon was at the APEC summit. Uh, my answer was no. Uh, he is back in Seoul, but instead, uh, Prime Minister Han Dok Su is actually at the APEC summit, uh, which, by the way, begins uh, tomorrow. Uh, po Kyung, tell us uh, about the agenda for this year's APEC summit and uh, what outcomes we can expect there. Right. So it was all about diplomacy last week with ASEAN and G20, but tomorrow it's all about the economy. And so tomorrow the APEC summit begins, and this time Prime Minister Han Dok-su will attend on behalf of President Yoon to promote economic security and cooperation, including addressing supply chain issues. As you know, APEC, or the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation, is an intergovernmental forum for 21 member economies in the Pacific Rim that promotes free trade throughout the Asia-Pacific region. The last APEC summit was held actually four years ago, and the agenda for this year's summit is expected to focus on the global supply chain and economic security. One of South Korea's expectations is to create a free trade organization in which all APEC member countries can take part for the sake of strengthening the global supply chain and restoring a multilateral trade system within the region. Prime Minister Han already met with the Australian Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, and according to the Prime Minister's office, there will be one or perhaps two more bilateral meetings, but not those with the leaders of Japan, China, or the U.S., because President Yoon already met those leaders the past week. In the meanwhile, U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris called an emergency gathering of leaders from Australia, Japan, South Korea, Canada, and New Zealand on the sidelines of the summit after North Korea today carried out the missile test just an hour before the summit was inaugurated. It's kind of interesting, the, uh, the countries that were uh, called up there. Australia, I could kind of understand, and the, uh, the Pacific, Asia-Pacific region. Japan, I understand. South Korea, I understand. Canada uh, being in the mix there. New Zealand uh, mixed in there as well. Oh, Benny says it was Besby who asked uh, whether or not President Yoon was in the, at the, uh, the APEC summit. Benny is not only uh, the unofficial manager of Arirang Radio, but apparently he writes down journals and jots down uh, everything that each of the uh, the listeners also say on our chat room as well. So uh, thank you very much for that, Benny. Uh, in the meantime, let's get some international news here. Uh, leaders of Japan and China uh, holding their first in-person meeting in about three years uh, in the talks there. Uh, they agreed to improve their bilateral relations. Uh, Sebo must get some details. All right, SJ. Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida and Chinese President Xi Jinping met on Thursday on the sidelines of the APEC summit in Bangkok, Thailand, and agreed to continue to communicate closely at all levels, including at the top leadership level. This was the first face-to-face -face meeting between Chinese and Japanese leaders in about three years, and Kishida's first in-person meeting with Xi since taking office in 2021. During their talks, Japan's Kishida raised concerns about stability in the Taiwan Strait, as well as about China's military moves, human rights issues, and the detention of Japanese citizens. To elaborate more on China's military activities that was pointed out by Kishida, Beijing launched about five ballistic missiles in August towards Tokyo's exclusive economic zone. In response to U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's 
visit to Taiwan, and this has worsened their bilateral relations between the two countries. However, Kishida described their discussions as making progress towards better ties. The two leaders agreed to swiftly begin operations of an air and maritime hotline and to strengthen communications via a Japan-China national security dialogue. She also said that the two sides should avoid conflict and confrontation while expressing his willingness to work with Japan to maintain a stable relationship. Yeah, and this is interesting. And we talked about this uh, earlier this week as well, last minute, sort of speak, uh, before President Yoon left for Seoul once again. He had, uh, although it was very brief, it was a 25-minute summit talk with uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping, uh, that was not initially planned. I think it was planned last minute. Uh, one of the things I think China is starting to see because it was the tri- uh, trilateral summit between South Korea, the U.S. and and Japan. And so what China is, China doesn't like this, right? China doesn't like the fact that South Korea and Japan are being so, uh, you know, close and tight knit with the United States, despite the fact that, you know, both countries really need the United States for, uh, you know, military support too, because of the uh, the continued North Korea uh, provocations and the, the nuclear threats. Uh, but China is seeing that both South Korea and Japan are, I mean, Japan actually, they've always been kind of leaning towards the United States, but still, uh, China does not like the fact that China, uh, both South Korea and Japan have been leaning towards the United States. So it does seem like now that Xi Jinping has been uh, given his third term as the Chinese leader, he is trying to get South Korea and Japan a little bit push, you know, a little bit towards them, right? Uh, Trying to say that, you know, listen, you need us too, and uh, we're good partners, and uh, we need to hold talks. And it's kind of the same way with uh, with uh, the 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 Fumio Kishida Xi Jinping summit is that with, with President Yoon Suk Yeol with and Ch- uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping, I don't think there was like a really good tangible result from that. It was only twenty five minutes, uh, but what a lot of people are saying is at least they're talking, and China wants to talk to South Korea, and China wants to make sure that South Korea is not leaning too much towards the United States. So China is they're working hard. They don't like the fact that they're getting too close with uh, the United States for obvious reasons. Uh, let's talk about. Uh, the COP27, uh, the draft of the COP27, uh, which was about keeping the target limit of 1.5 degrees Celsius. Uh, and this is something that uh, world leaders have been aiming for for the longest time. It's not really headed towards that way. But uh, it doesn't mention the compensation plan or the timeline, which is a big thing for a lot of the, uh, the developing countries who has been calling for the compensation stuff. Uh, Pogyang, give us the latest on this. Sure. So the COP27 summit was held in Egypt for the past two weeks, and the draft of the resolution was released on Thursday. According to a news outlet, the first draft of a deal would keep a target of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, but many of the most contentious issues were still left unresolved. One of the most disputed points is whether to set up a new fund for compensation and any damage and loss that would benefit poor countries that are suffering from the impact of climate change, such as storms, floods, droughts, and wildfires. This is one of the key demands of the developing nations for a long time. However, nothing much was said about the actual compensation nor its timelines. The member countries just welcome the fact that this issue has been included as part of the agenda. 
And as for the usage of fossil fuel, the current COP27 draft resolution includes the gradual phase down of coal power just as the Glasgow deal, but does not include the phase down of other fossil fuels such as petroleum and natural gas. This probably reflects the requests of India and the EU that have been against the gradual reduction of all fossil fuels. And in the meanwhile, EU announced the previous day that it would support 1 billion euros, which is about 1.3 trillion Korean won, to African countries so that they can cope with climate change. And those countries taking part this time would be France, Germany, the Netherlands, Denmark, so four countries, yeah. and it would be about 60, oh, 60 million euros, about 83 billion Korean won. And uh, yes, and then this is just the uh, first draft of mm-hmm. the resolution, and it's supposed to be not disclosed. But then after discussions, the final draft resolution will be released soon, and the contents may differ. And this will be disclosed on the 19th, which is after the closing of the COP27 summit. Yeah, the compensation is the, the big thing uh, with the uh, the developing countries that are basically saying, listen, it's because of all the developed countries that uh, the earth is this way, and we're certainly feeling the big brunt of this. Uh, Benny, do remind us again who it was. I think it was either Kay or Zabrina Z, uh, who is from uh, Malaysia, and she was saying that even in her their country, who, I, I forget who it was, uh, in their countries, basically the water levels are rising. Right. And so a lot of these villages and a lot of these towns, uh, they're forced to relocate to higher grounds because they're seeing too much flooding. And this is because a lot of people might going, well, I mean, what's that got to do with uh, the environment? Well, the icebergs are melting and the sea levels are rising right now. In fact, it's not just uh, in one or two countries. A number of countries out there in major cities are seeing their sea levels rise and they're seeing it you know, get worse in every year. And so they're saying we need that money in order for us to kind of relocate. And and, uh, not to mention, not just that, but for companies to kind of go green right off the bat, it's also going to cost a lot of money. So unfortunately, when it comes to going green, it is going to cost a lot of money. But still, I think it needs to be done. Uh, I think we're already in a terrible path right now and a downward trend and I don't think we could keep that 1.5 degrees Celsius plan as uh, they've been talking about this every year now uh, yeah. just to mention the reason why they didn't want to or maybe they didn't include yet any compensation details is because the scope of that compensation will be extensive right it mm. won't be really simple it will be trillions of euros yeah, and, so, yeah. and that's why it's not easy to really come up with the numbers yet and that's why probably the member countries needed more time to come up with a calculation about the compensation yeah it's not like you go all right every country if you are have you been impacted by this we're all going to give you a billion dollars each and uh we're cool no, it doesn't work like that and so you're absolutely right it is very complicated guys let's finish things off uh, on a brighter note here. Are you guys football fans? You guys watch football? Or are you guys like uh, most of the people where you guys become football fans every four years? Yeah, right. Every four years. Every four years. <laughs> they don't watch any football. It's like my wife. My wife cares nothing about football or sports, but for some reason she becomes a hardcore football fan uh, every World Cup and she's screaming louder than I do. Uh, this year's FIFA World Cup, it's mere days away here. Today is Friday, which means also, you know, I memorized the Qatar time. Uh, Right now, currently in Qatar, it's noon at 12.33 Friday, which means 1, 2. 
in about uh, a little more than two days, about two days from now, mm -hmm. uh, the FIFA World Cup actually kicks off with its very first match. Uh, so we're looking at days here, uh, but uh, it is interesting because it is going to be the very first World Cup where it's going to happen in the winter uh, season and uh, also the very first World Cup where it's being held in the Middle East as well. Uh, it is in the Qatar region, the Qatar World Cup 2022. Sebom, um, big stuff for football fans out there. Uh, well, well, what can we expect here? And this is coming from our uh, every four-year football expert. <laughs> All right. It's going to be a very exciting news for them. Yeah. And for the first time in history, the world's largest soccer festival will be held in winter as well as in the Middle East. The FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 will open on next Monday at 1 a.m. Korean time at Albaik Stadium, 35 kilometers north of central Doha and located in Alcor, with an opening match of a Group A between the hosting country Qatar and Ecuador. And the final match to, to determine this year's champion will be held on December 19th at the Lusail Iconic Stadium. The name of its mascot is Laib, which means an extraordinary player in Arabic. And the official ball named Alila means journey in Arabic. World Cups have been usually held between June and July. However, considering the scorching hot weather in the summer season in Qatar, it was decided to be held in November this year. Qatar will be the smallest country in which the FIFA World Cup is held. And uh, for your information, the size of the country is just slightly larger than that of Korea's Gyeonggi-do province. Oh. And a total of 64 games will be held in eight stadiums, including the two that I already mentioned. If you look at participating countries, Brazil, that has won five titles so far, is the only country to participate in all 22 World Cups so far. And Qatar at will automatically qualify as the hosting country, and it will be the 10th consecutive World Cup for Korea's national team. And for your information, the Korean national team, led by head coach Paolo Bantu, will have their first match with Uruguay next Thursday. It is said that the team's captain and best player, Son Heung-min, is still recovering after undergoing surgery to repair multiple fractures around his left eye. Yeah, so I have a uh, couple of my uh, buddies who are sports writers, and uh, they're currently in uh, Qatar there, and one of the things that they checked out was the stadiums, and mm -hmm. so that was the big thing, right? It's super hot over there, uh, and so whether or not the football players are going to be playing, and also fans are going to be able to play in the best condition, meaning that it's not going to be too hot. He said he walked into the stadium and it's really nice and cool. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they've done a fantastic job uh, with the air conditioning system. And also for the players and the, the media and uh, the fans out there, the good news is because all the stadiums are within like a 50-kilometer mm -hmm. radius, that they don't have to travel a lot. Yeah. Uh, I remember talking to uh, Yuji Ho from uh, Yanap News when he was at the Brazil World Cup, because Brazil is such a big country. Mm -hmm. uh, he said he had to take like a plane for like eight hours to go from one match to another match and wow. things like that. But now it's like everything is within the you know 50-kilometer uh, radius that uh, they don't have to travel for, so they like that. Uh, mm -hmm. But on the 
Uh, flip side, though, uh, I guess a lot of people have been saying that, well, you know, drinking is limited uh, mm-hmm. in a country where uh, it's, it's, it's Islamic mm-hmm. laws are in place. Uh, so uh, there's a number of things that they need to kind of follow with this World Cup. Mm-hmm. Again, South Korea playing against uh, Uruguay next Thursday. This is at 10 p.m. Korea Standard Time. Uh, I'm going to be probably wearing my football jersey that day. Uh, <laughs> Benny asked, Pogyongnim, are you also a fan of football? Again, every four years she's every a fan. Every four years. But in the meantime, I do not know the names of the players. <laughs> 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 you, you must. I mean, you. I will only get to know the names when it's the World no, Cup. No, no, no. You have to. You know one player. I only know the one that has the same last name as I do. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And that's about it. This <laughs> one. Yes, Sonungmin uh, is the one name that you should know. Yep. Uh, if you're gonna ask me if I bought a Sonungmin jersey, I didn't. I bought a Kim Minje jersey. Kim Minje, I think, is the other uh, big player to uh, look into. Uh, Zena Tai says I'm an expert in soccer avoidance, meaning that uh, you avoid soccer. You don't watch. You know what the joke is? I don't know if you guys use football or soccer, uh, but soccer. nowadays people have been using soccer. Do you know why? Uh, Americans are arguing that the U.S. dollar is stronger than the British pound right now, so they have to go with soccer instead of football. Wow. Is the, is the, is the joke that's going around. Okay. Uh, let's see. Polino Maldonado says, uh, oh, Polino Maldonado is a big football fan, but this wasn't a, this isn't a football. I, I saw Chile, and I thought she was going to talk football, but it's about the environment. Nevertheless, guys, thank you very much for coming in today with your reports. Please stay safe. Have a great weekend. We'll see you guys again next week. Have thank a good weekend. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.